Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. happened some kind of shootout stay here and keep an eye on him who the hell are you my pa found you well go fetch him i don't know what you're talking about i think long and hard on what you got yourself into funny i was about to tell you the same thing riders they're gonna be three of them I'm Sheriff Sam Ketchum. We've been scouting for a man on the run. He's dangerous. They ain't lawmen. They're bank robbers. All right, hello. Welcome, everyone, to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. I am Michael, your host. And today, myself and David Sabal will be discussing and breaking down the 2021 Western film Old Henry. Hello, David. How are you? How's it going, everybody? Old Henry is a 2021 American Western action drama film. It stars Tim Blake Nelson, a farmer who must protect his son from outlaws, with Scott Hayes, Gavin Lewis, Grace Atkins, Stephen Dwarf in supporting roles, and the antagonist of the film. The film had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival on September 7th, 2021, and was theatrically released in the United States by Shout Studios. So it is an indie picture. It is. It was critically acclaimed with praise to the story, Ponceroli's direction, and Nelson's performance. I agree with all that. Oh, absolutely. Especially, especially Nelson's performance. Every single time, the thing that drew me to this movie was him, because... For me, I love his performances when he's in a Western. He's a good actor. He's very underrated. So to see him get his cred, you know, for some great work is definitely rewarding when you follow his work. And a lot of times his performances go under the radar, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Uh, The National Board of Review actually selected the film in its annual list of top 10 independent films of the year. So it is critically acclaimed. The official synopsis, an action westerner about a farmer who takes in an injured man with a satchel of cash. When a posse comes for the money, he must decide who to trust. Defending a siege, he reveals a gunslinging talent, calling his true identity into question. This is not what some would define as a true traditional western because it does entail notions of the revisionist form or the post-western. Yeah. 
because the protagonist is more or less what we'd call an anti-hero. A man yeah. that has a code, but operates outside the law. However, there are thematic elements that have more in common with the so-called traditional Westerns. And we will get into this a bit more in just a moment. In fact, a lot of our discussion will be geared around what type of Western this is. Well, especially since it, without giving any way spoilers and stuff like that, and the, and especially since this movie has a big spoiler, you know, it does have the themes you'd expect in a American Western. Correct. And like, especially with American, American myth, you know, so that's the biggest thing for me that I took away from it is like, after watching this, I was like going, does it, is it like the atypical Western? No, but it still maintains those elements and it kind of actually maintains the elements of an American Western, what you would expect. Yeah. It's somewhere between a traditional Western and a revisionist Western, which yeah. we don't often get those. Usually we get one or the other. Yes. This is a, this is actually what I would call a hybrid of the two. Yeah. Which is kind of refreshing because I like, I, I personally like it when I see my Westerns kind of have this mix it because like there's times when Westerns take it too seriously. You know what I mean? When they take it too much into the themes, when the themes become the, when that's the whole point of the Western. Right. And they kind of, when they live within the confines of yeah. certain thematic elements Certain or thematic elements. archetypes that belong within a specific subgenre of the Western. And sometimes that just ruins creativity when it feels like they're being hampered. You're constrained. You're constrained. Yeah. And then the opposite is like when they go hog wild with it and then they just throw it out the window and it just get, it gets ridiculous. Typically those people don't really know what a Western is. Yeah. Like the director is like, oh, yeah, I like cowboys, cowboy hats and Westerns. Oh. Exactly. But they don't really understand what makes a Western a Western film. Yes. So, Dave, what were your initial thoughts on this film? This movie initially, when you first brought this up to me, I did not know about this film till you brought it up to me. And like, yeah, at the time. And then I watched it and it's become one of those films, Mike, that has grown on me to the point when. It was really good the first initial viewing, but now that I've had time to th really think about it, this is arguably one of the top 10 movies I've seen the last two years. I would put it up there. Yeah. I watch a lot of West or a lot of movies, so I don't know if I can say top 10 movie. That's the thing. But it's definitely in my top five Westerns that have come out within the last let's say five to 10 years, five to 10 years. Right. Yeah. And I would, for me, I've watched so many movies the last two years and this one just seems to stick with me because of what we mentioned prior about it being kind of like this hybrid Western, a Western we, we don't see anymore where you have the creativity aspect of it, but you still hold the themes that are expected in a Western. And it's amazing to me that basically I haven't, I haven't had this type of Western in a very long time where it's like, okay, I either get it really outlandish and really crazy. Like say I'm trying to think of a really outlandish where the one Western that we saw where it was the all black cast. That one was amazing. the harder they fall, the harder they fall. I love that one. The movie's so fun. It's so fun and everything else, but it's not to, it's not to be taken seriously. Right. 
Because mm, <laughs> like, I, it just it depends on your taste. It depends on your taste. But like because that to me is a spaghetti. That's a spaghetti western. Yeah. yeah. But like if you think about it, people throw that out in the outlandish territory. Yeah. This this crosses that line. Yeah, I get your point. Yeah. And like then you get like the opposite side where I'm trying to think of a western where it's we liked it and but and it was like dead serious. I'm trying. I'm kind of drawing a blank right now, but I'm sure after the show, I probably remember. You mean like a Western that is just a really well-made Western, really well-made Western. Uh, the one with uh, Robert Duvall and Kevin Costner. Yes. That one. I always forget the name of it, but it is an amazing movie. It's amazing It'll movie. come to me in a second here. And actually I remember open me and range, you, open range. Yeah. We, we, me and you have talked about that movie partly throughout all the other shows that we've covered. And like, that right there, that is like the opposite of harder they fall where it's like more. Se- it's, it's serious. They're, they're taking gritty. the genre more serious. Yeah. And they're taking the Western. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Seriously. And that's how you feel about old Henry. Old Henry. It is yeah. this perfect blend of a hybrid that I'm like going. And, and the thing that baffles me, not many people are watching the film. They don't know about it. Well, surprisingly, yes, you're right. Unfortunately, has not made the rounds as much as I would like for a movie like this to make, because when a movie's this good, that's a Western specifically, people need to see it because we don't get a lot of high quality Westerns. And when you do, we all need to rally behind it so we can get more or high quality Western films. Yeah. Cause we are definitely in the age of like C Westerns. There's a lot of C Westerns. B-Westerns I can always love. I can find something to appreciate when it comes to B-Westerns. Uh-huh. Spaghetti Westerns are essentially B-Westerns. But then you have the micro-budget C-Westerns that have really gained momentum over the last five or six years. You have a lot of like ultra-indie directors working outside the studio system, even the indie system. And they're working on these Westerns that... <sighs> They're all over Amazon. Oh yeah. And they, I've tried to push play on a few of them and I turn them off within five minutes. Cause they're just, sh- they're just, or they're just, they're bad. just shit. Yeah. So it is nice to get an a Western. And the amazing thing for me, for old Henry is just seeing it up to this point when it first got released, I, re- I actually wrote this down in my notes, watching this movie, it's score just critically slowly start creeping up because I remember when it first came out, it had middling scores. I actually saw the initial scores for 77% right on it. And now it's growing into the nineties and it's like, people are now finally it's word of mouth. People are seeing it. And I'm like going, it's a shame that basically you have a movie like this good have to take its time getting its audience because it, it should have been actually touted more. Yeah, and if the film didn't come out during the in the midst of the pandemic because it was released in 2021, it probably would have made more money at the box office. And we'll talk about critical reception of box office towards the end of our discussion today. But before we move further, Dave, I should warn the listeners that there will be a substantial amount of spoilers discussed. Because to be as thorough as possible in our analysis and discussion, it just can't be avoided. Yeah. 
if spoilers concern you, then go watch the film. You won't regret it and come back afterward and continue to listen to this podcast. I believe it's available for free currently on Hulu. I could be wrong, but I will double check and I'll post it on the website version of our discussion once this episode goes on demand. Yeah. And David, just to get it going, let's just say what the spoiler is because it's built into the plot of the film and it's the true identity of our hero or protagonist, Old Henry. And it is, or I should say, he actually is William H. Bonnie, a.k.a. Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid. And that might sound a little silly. But uh, it's, if, you're, if you believe in American lore, dude, that is not silly. There you go. You hit it right in the head. That's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. You're dealing with Western folklore. Yes. And Billy the Kid is at the center of Western folklore. Oh, yeah. In fact, during when the time that he was alive, he was already being turned into a folk hero. If you look at, and yes, we know that there's a lot of American folklore characters out there that are just as famous as Billy Kidd. You have Wyatt Earp. You have, you know, a bunch of other characters in American folklore. But Billy the Kid, the, the, I've always been fascinated with the legend of Billy the Kid. And it, it's, it, do you realize that that American piece of folklore started simply because of a picture? That one famous mugshot of Billy the Kid and it, blo- it ballooned out of this is Robin Hood. Man, talk about great casting because they show that famous photo. Yeah. And Blake Nelson. <laughs> he looks like it. He shares similarities to that photo. Yes. Talk about an amazing casting choice. Purely by coincidence, obviously. Well, well I don't want to say coincidence. Obviously, the casting directors as well as the director saw that. But, I mean... What type of stars needed to be aligned? They're like, yep, you're the one for the role. And you share an awful lot of similarity to the actual photo of Billy the Kid. Yeah, so that's going to be a big part of our discussion. It is built into the plot. There is a big reveal moment. And the people who may be aware of Western folklore, you're probably going to pick up on it early on. But that doesn't destroy the actual reveal when you find out this is Billy the Kid. When you find out he is Billy the Kid, you get chills. You do. When he starts putting his guns on, you're like, oh, shit, this is good to get. You're waiting for a bloodbath to occur once you find out who he is. It's like like seeing an actual superhero don his costume. Well, I mean, isn't that what cowboys are? They're 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 the first versions of superheroes. Yeah, they're American superheroes. And like... If you think about the the idea and the the romance of Billy the Kid, the legend, is like ingrained into Americana. Just like you know, out here in Arizona, the idea, the the romance of Tombstone. Why is Tombstone so epic? Because that's American lore, and so many people blow it out of proportion. But because of that, we have like Western figures in American cinema, like a Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday. You know, they weren't the nicest people, but man, in, in American cinema, they're seen like superheroes. 
Now, David, just for a little bit of context, there may be some people out there. Well, this is really taking some liberties with history because we all know Billy the Kid was shot by Pat Garrett. Do we? But do we know that? that <laughs> That's part of the lore. What, the early part of the 20th century, there was an individual. In fact, Young Guns 2 is yes. based on that idea. Come to think of it. That was one of the best things in Young Guns 2. Yeah, that you have this idea that Pat Garrett didn't kill Billy the Kid, that yeah. he actually gave him the opportunity to run. There has been some recent DNA work done now on the man who claimed to be Billy the Kid, and there are some discrepancies. There I do not believe it's been completely shelved. No. But there are additional questions now pertaining to this man's true identity. Needless to say, we're not here to debate historical fact because as we know westerns is american myth to begin with yes it's building on the myth of billy the kid exactly and that's the whole point one of the big things about the legend of billy the kid is the idea that he got away it's much like the the, the romance of butch and sundance escape the escape the the shootout they live to fight another day because that's part of that's part of americana romance you know the the outlaws that get away and live to fight another day the romanticized notions of the west of the west yeah and like i remember when young guns 2 came out there were so many people talking oh my god yeah billy the kid probably did get away he did get away from pat garrett because the story when you look at the story it just leaves we all love these stories, you yeah. know, the Alvis and the twin brother conspiracy, <laughs> conspiracy, Tupac Shakur is still alive. Yeah. It's stuff like that. It's yeah. It bleeds into Americana. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a part of that. It's definitely a part of that whole entire tapestry. The movie is directed by directed and written by Potsy Ponsiroli. So this film is very much a product of his creative vision he does have a great eye for the Western, which is something that I always look for the moment I sit down to watch a Western. The aspect that's at the top of my head when I'm writing my notes is, does this person who is writing and directing this Western actually understand what makes a Western a Western? And when viewing this movie, I did get the feeling that he wasn't just simply going through the motions, yeah. you know, basic western pitfalls you know i.e the standoff in the middle of town cowboy rides off into the sunset saloon and brothel these are some of what i would call components that are needed in certain westerns but when directors include such things without the understanding of why they should be included you know what you get is a very generic formulaic western yes there's there's a there's almost kind of like you know not to sound uh cheesy right now but there's a heart and soul that comes with this film because you can tell that the director understands what a western means it's more than just hats and guns the deeper themes the, the deeper themes the, the semiotics of the western they're there and the director was obviously aware of what he was doing and why he was doing it for example the protagonist in this film as i said henry turns out to be billy the kid and through this character, the contentious dichotomy, this is why a character like this worked for this particular story, because the contentious dichotomy between civilization, the wilderness and notions of modernity were brought to the foreground. This time period 
is what many refer to as the sunset of the cowboy era and that of the Old West, a time when civilization and modernity are creeping up on the archetypal cowboy protagonist. And to keep with this thought another moment, it's important to note that this movie takes place at the very beginning of the 20th century, 1906. Yes. 1906. And that's a significant date for American lore. Which is well after the so-called closing of the frontier. And that refers to the historical process by which the vast unsettled areas of the West were gradually colonized, mm -hmm. developed, and brought under the control of the expanding American nation. Basically, for outlaws and the like, the party was over. Yeah, it was the, the jig was of, up. It was the death of the cowboy. Yeah. Because like when during the during the end of the frontier, that was like everyone was understanding that less about individuality and it was more about conformity to the government because the government was going to help you at that point. Yeah. And th this is a lot. These are similar aspects that the director of Butch and Sundance utilized. A lot of people that just watch certain films superficially don't really realize what, what is actually being stated. Being stated. And the, the, there's a struggle between the, the last of an era and modernity. I mean, there's a scene in Sundance and, and Butch Cassidy where where he literally says, I believe this is to hell with the future. And he throws a bicycle. Yes. Well, it was also kind of like, even the final showdown of Butch and Sundance was a, was a metaphor for the inevitability that they were facing. Yeah. The, the modernity was inevitable. It, it was, was inevitable. It was there. Yeah. They, they were just looking at the ending and were fighting against the oncoming storm and they didn't realize till the, till the very end that basically the storm was going to take them out. And this is where a movie like Old Henry were, I don't want to say it was borrowing from Sundance and Butch Cassidy because these are elements of the West many you times. The, you get the same feeling. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And having Billy the Kid as our actual protagonist really helped with fleshing out some of these ideas. For one... Billy the Kid is a character that has been embedded with Old West folklore for as long as people knew of his exploits and those stories have just grown over the last century. So using the folklore of Billy the Kid, you were appropriately thrown into the mythological West and the audience is given an image of a man that is out of time in more than one respect. One, out of time because the future is upon him and there's no place for former outlaws like himself. Yeah. And two, he doesn't belong in the 20th century. He's a man of the frontier, a frontier that doesn't exist any longer. In fact, there was a line in the film where Henry says the world is changing and I don't belong no more. Yes. And it was to his son, which is even more appropriate because Wyatt doesn't belong in that age because he, that that's, that's Henry's son and his son is going to have to live on into this new age. So having Henry say that to his son and, you know, in essence, his son carries on it now because he's the one that basically has to carry on the memory of his father who he now realizes was Billy the kid. 
Yeah. And just for a little bit of context, Dave, I feel like it's important to explain a few of the things we're talking about a little bit more. Because, listen, I don't want to take liberties with people's knowledge. There may not be people who are following along. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It just has to do with understanding certain aspects of the Western genre. So I would feel like it would be remiss if we don't get into some of these finer details to explain some of our theories. Yeah. So many classic Western narrative narratives portray a stark contrast between, I guess you can say, civilization and the untamed wilderness. Yeah. Where there's often a depiction or depicting civilization as representing progress, order, and modernity, while the wilderness represents freedom, danger, and a way of life that is closer to nature. Now, this isn't the end all. Obviously, there's wiggle room to to bend. You know, what do we always say, David, when you know the rules, you can break the rules? Yes. So these are not etched in stone, but you do need to understand certain things and then you can play within within the gaps. And in these stories, the encroachment of civilization is often portrayed as a double edged sword. On one hand, it brings law, infrastructure and social order to the untamed frontier. Towns are established, railways are built and settlers arrive bringing with them the comforts and conveniences of modern life. This is often seen as a positive development as it brings progress and opportunities for economic growth. But the man who wants his freedom, the man who wants the silence of the wilderness to be one with nature, this is where the conflict arises. Now, there are categories, and I'm just going to name a few just to throw them out here. There was a Western theorist, a Western genre theorist that I, his name eludes me. I think his name is Colwetti, I want to say, who put together a philosophical dialectic uh, categories that he calls antinomies. And basically, on one side, you have the wilderness. And on the other side, you have civilization. And on each side of those columns, you have the appropriate elements that belong under wilderness and under civilization. So, for example, under wilderness, you have the individual. Mm -hmm. On the opposite side, you have, which is under civilization. So that's how I'm going to go. I'm going to go wilderness. And then on the opposite will be civilization. So under wilderness, you have the individual. On the other side, you have the community. Wilderness, freedom, mm -hmm. the opposite, restriction, honor, institutions, self-knowledge, illusion, integrity, compromise, self-interest, social responsibility, solipsism, democracy. Those are just some of many. If you guys are interested in finding out more about that, I can definitely post it within the website version of this show once it goes on demand. But it's interesting, and this isn't, this, this isn't something that this gentleman pulled out of his asshole no. because he liked the way it sounded. This guy analyzed hundreds, if not thousands of Westerns that were made between, I want to say, 1920 and 1960. Oh, yeah. And especially if you look at, even, if, even in by today's standards, the romance of the cowboy falls under that, where it's like, 
the idea that basically the West was seen as individual freedom. You can do anything you want out there. You can, you know, it's the, it's like the, the love of the gold rush era, the love of those type of stories. And we romantic romanticize it as a culture to symbolize freedom. You know, all those, all those frontiersmen got to do what they individually wanted. Yeah. There's also gendered. Oh, what's the best way of saying this? There's notions of there's gendered connotations as well to the wilderness as well as civilization. So for example, typically masculinity is the wilderness and everything that goes under that category. And then when it comes to civilization, you have the Easterners, the Easterners, yeah, which is modernity which is civilization, people from the East Coast, tenderfoots, if you will. We've all heard that term as an insult to the people from the East or from Europe. So you have that, and that's mostly associated with femininity. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of like for for mass audiences out there that a movie that probably represents that is like Young Guns 2. Perfect example. You have Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid. And then you have Doc, which is a tenderfoot. Who's from New York, New York. And like, well, he's not, but in young guns too, he is. He is. And, and when you look at Kiefer in young guns too, oh, he's so pretty. Yeah. You know, so you have that even in young guns too. And it's like, he's the, he's the innocent of the gang. He's the guy that basically all the guys rally behind because he's from a more civilized place he went to even in young guns the first one he is the more civilized gentleman gentleman. of the crew and like and he this gentleman is going into the wild wild west with billy the kid and that's the that's a dichotomy that you're you're looking at when it comes to when you when you actually study american folklore it's amazing to me the 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 divide between the east and the west and it's like if the hero is from the East. The West is seen as reviled and untamed, uncontrollable. There's a lot of ideologies in opposition. Yeah, in opposition. And if the hero is from the West, the East is seen as, you know, oppressive, um, narrow-minded, bigoted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So circling back for a moment, and then we'll move on. Uh, there are visual elements as well that strengthen the idea in this film that Billy the Kid is a type of mythological figure of the West. For instance, there is a camera sequence that is amazing that is set as a wide, or I suppose maybe an establishing shot is probably a better way to categorize it, where Henry walks into the wilderness along, you know, in frame with lightning flashing all across the sky. I have that scene also. I mean, to include a scene like this is it's an iconographic aspect that captures the mythological underpinnings of the West of the and West. Billy's place within old Western myth. That sequence is fantastic. And you could, you could take that scene, that simple scene, so many ways, you know, the storm symbolizes the, the, the incoming, the incoming end of Billy, the kid's time. Uh, and Using that, those are the, the the imagery that I fell in love with with westerns. You know, where they use the ideas of 
the desert storm or the, the thunderstorm in the horizon and along the plains. And I'm glad you hit the same scene because that one for me was like, that was one of the scenes in there that basically told me, okay, when I went into this film, I was like expecting something not as dynamic. I thought we were, I was going to be in for kind of like a, it's going to be an easy viewing. Right. And you get to that scene. It's like, wait a minute. There's more here that's being played at. That's, and yeah, that's this, so this requires multiple viewings. That's so funny <laughs> that you say, you know, requires multiple viewings because we had this on schedule to, I want to say last year we were going to yeah. cover it. And I kept pushing it back because I didn't feel like I watched it enough. Oh yeah. I needed to go back and rewatch because I didn't want to miss things. And once I realized that this Western wasn't just a run of the mill Western, I wanted to make sure we got our discussion right. Yeah. I wanted to really analyze the film for all of its value, for all of its, you know, I guess you can say theoretical value there because nothing is definitive when it comes to interpretation. But when you understand film and you understand what an auteur is doing with his film, a lot of things start clicking and start making sense. Oh, yeah. Bringing it back to that sequence just for a second. One thing that I really liked about it is because you have our protagonist essentially becoming one with the wilderness as the lightning zigzags all around him. You know, he lives almost as a hermit alone, isolated, except for his son. And of course, his brother-in-law, he lives a reclusive life. He's an animal that hides from civilization. That's literally what he's doing. And what happens when civilization seeks him out? The seekers become prey to the predator of the wilderness. And the the most, the other scene that basically kind of goes along with that scene as like, you can tell that basically the director knew the type of story was he was doing was the scene where he goes initially into the room to get his guns. And he looks at the, uh, it's the keep your head damn head down scene. When he looks at his kid and tells him about that, he goes, gets his guns. To me, the way it's shot, that's almost kind of like that, that scene that has so much symbolism. It's the cowboy getting his guns for one last fight. It's the showdown that basically, okay, in comic book terms, I'm going to put my superhero cape on. Cow- or in co- uh, and like, that's the Superman scene. And in, in cowboy terms, that's, that's part of American folklore. The cowboy going and getting his guns and just basically saying, damn it all, I'm going to kill everybody I see. <laughs> I don't care who it is. And like, it, it's, and, and metaphorically, it's, it's the wilderness resisting civilization. Resisting civilization. But the dynamic too, he's resisting civilization by protecting the future because why it represents the future. <laughs> it's, it's real good. It's really good. And yeah. you, you don't get that really, that type of storytelling element till you view this movie probably more than once. Yeah. Once I knew something was going on during my first viewing, I'm like, all right, so there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I'm going to have to just do a, a one easy once through one through or What's, what's the word I'm looking for? A once over? A once over. There we go. 
And then I'm like, I'm going to have to go back and, and focus on other things. And from the very beginning, because sometimes when you pick up, th- pick up on things midway through, you, d- you don't realize that there has been clues mm-hmm. that were leading up to that. So, yeah. All right. So, David, setting aside the discussion on theory, let's take a look at the overall writing. The screenplay, um, the overall structure of the script was just fine. It wasn't perfect, but it worked. It worked just fine. It's it's, it's a simple. Yes, it's, it's a simple story, and sometimes there's no reason to overcomplicate things that worked better on a simplistic level. That's a that's a lost art, Dave. Oh yeah. There's a lot of filmmakers now that feel like they have to overcomplicate the plot. And I don't know about you, but in my opinion, really great westerns. Their stories are actually relatively simple. They truly are. It's the themes behind the story. Not Westworld, dude. <laughs> that thing was so fucking overcomplicated. That was complicated. That overcomplicated itself right out of existence. But Westworld is like sci-fi, Mike. <laughs> that's that's eh, the, the first. West the first season sci-fi. First season was pretty strong as a western but, in its own way. But yeah, I've always felt that like really great westerns, their stories, their scripts are relatively simple. It's, it's the themes behind them that get the dynamic, uh, the, the, the dynamic nature of the piece. Like if you look at something like one of my favorite Westerns of all time, the good, the bad, and the ugly, very simple, very simple script. It's a very simple script, Mike. <laughs> but like, if you look at the elements, it's the themes and you know, like the, the little, little tiny tidbits that they throw out there that makes the story great. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Because the good, the bad and the ugly is a relatively simple script when it comes to plot, when it comes to plot, but the movie is fucking brilliant. So it it shows you that you just, even an iconic film like that directed by one of the greatest directors of all time, Sergio Leone, it goes to show you that you just don't need overcomplicated plots. I mean, certainly you can do it and it can work out, but we're, I see a lot of people feel now that if they, if they think that a good movie means a very dense plot, and I just don't believe you need to make every film that way. You just don't. You don't. So as it pertains to directing, there were a few what the fucks, (laughs) I guess you could say fallacies of logic, I suppose. Uh, There were two characters and maybe this is the writing. I don't know. Either way, it's all done by Ponceroli. Yeah. So this isn't shit talking by any means, but we are doing a critical analysis, right? Yes. There were some things that I, I didn't understand why he would do them. They felt a little silly. It felt uncalled for. And, and that perhaps is, I, I, I'm not quite sure. There were two characters that did some rather silly things that felt so uncalled for that perhaps it was simply done to move the plot forward. I know that's one. really the only justification. Sometimes, you know, after years and years and years of analyzing films, sometimes you can look at certain mistakes or gaffes in movies. You're like, why did the director do that? And you realize that it's for a very simple reason. It's just to move the plot forward. Yeah. Henry has a kid. And there is a scene towards the end of the picture where he steps in front of a window in the middle of a shootout. And it's not like a, like he shouldn't be aware that the window is there because bullets are flying through the window. And he had spent the previous five minutes hiding. Yes. 
And for some reason, he decides to stand up and walk across the window. It took me out of the film. Now, here's the thing. We've been talking about, I, I, I totally agree with you. Number one, uh, me and you have mentioned this off air about that, that scene, because like it took me out also as a kind of like kid, what the hell are you doing? That has to be the stupidest. Like, I know thing you're a putz, but I mean, yeah. it, even a putz knows not to get in front of a window as bullets are riddling the glass. Now here's the thing, Mike, Wyatt, if we go with the, the fact that Wyatt, everything about the representation is about like the frontier, the end of the frontier to the beginning of unquote the the civilized age after after fr- the frontier age taken into taken into the idea that Wyatt represents the future he represents civilization and the the trope that we all know that civilization is supposed to be naive and it's supposed to be seen as quote unquote innocent in mind not aware of the Not dangers, aware of, of, the the dangers of the West. Okay, yeah. I suddenly found myself going, I could forgive it for that. I could. But still, I wish it was visually directed better. Just that sequence. Because it, it looked clunky. Yeah, it just felt strange because you're watching an excellent film. Yeah. And then you get to that moment and you're like, what? And then what makes it worse is there was another character. I want to say a couple moments later... I believe it was uh, Curry. I think that's his name. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. And he also does the exact same thing. <laughs> he does the same thing. And he gets shot. And that's a thing. And he isn't naive or innocent. And he, there's no way you can say he represents civilization. He is a frontiersman. He is a, I believe, what, a, a sheriff? Yeah, a he's a sheriff. Man. He's a lawman. You know, rough and tough. And the guy makes the same knucklehead mistake as the kid. So it's a little strange. I'm not sure why the director chose to go in that direction. Maybe there's a reason for it. I, for one, could not make heads or tails of it. Do you think that basically it was, maybe it was to also go with the, to push us further along and push Curry away from his own big twist in the movie. I don't know if you want to cover that. Uh, You know, David, nah, we don't need to get into it. It's getting into the weeds, but that's getting into the weeds. But but honestly, Dave, I listen, I I take your point and I'm not going to say you're wrong because I don't think there is or are any wrong or right answers necessarily. But to me, it might simply be just an oversight. You know, you have a director and a writer and he's the producer working on an indie film. There's a lot of fucking moving parts <laughs> and perhaps he got to a point where he became too close to it and didn't even really notice it. And didn't take a, 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 a step back. Yeah. And, and it could be as simple then. as that. It could be as simple as that. Yeah. It might've just been a mistake. Listen, not everyone's perfect. Yeah. It's, and that's the thing is like, we're not saying that this is a terrible film. No, not and, even close. But we won't say that it's a perfect film. No, those two things were a bit of a sore thumb. It just unnecessarily pulls you out of the movie, but not enough to ruin the film. No. After a second or two, you were drawn back in mostly because both Steven Dorf and, Tim Blake Nelson were so perfectly cast that the viewer was able to stay focused. Oh yeah. Especially down to even the ending. It still had me like tied to the screen. Even, even toward the end with the glue to the screen or glue to the, uh, glue or to the screen. Is that what happens? Do you, do you, do you, 
<laughs> That's probably a better way to put it. But even to the point when Henry meets his fate and basically it gets to that point, I could not stop. I could not turn away from anything. And that shows that basically at least the casting had the good enough sense to know, hey, we in order for these characters to really hit, we need to get good, strong acting in it. Yeah. And also, David, if we weren't going to be discussing this, I probably would never even mention it. Like if someone said, hey, what's a good Western you've seen recently? Hey, you should check out old Henry. And I wouldn't even say, oh, you know what? Towards the ending, there's a couple scenes that are bleh. It wouldn't even enter my my mind no. to, to share that thought. Mm-mm. So when it comes to casting, we have Tim Blake Nelson, Scott Hayes, Gavin Lewis, Trace Atkins, Stephen Dwarf. All of them did really, really well, especially Tim Blake Nelson and Stephen Dwarf. Yeah. Dude, Stephen Dwarf needs to be in a lot more Westerns. That guy has. He has the look. He has, he has the look. look. He has the fucking voice. I would like him to play not always bad guys. It seems like he's playing bad guy roles lately. And he listen, if that's what he's getting cast as and that's his thing and he's paying the bills and so be it. But um, he's fantastic. I've always loved Steven Dorff. I became a huge Dorff fans fan, not fans. Cause I'm just one person. I'm singular, not plural after blade. Oh yeah. Yeah. I loved, I loved him in blade as a villain. He was so good. He was so good. In Deacon frost. That's the character, right? <laughs> Fuck, yes. dude. I watched that movie just a couple months ago. The the 4K restoration. restoration? Oh my god, it god, looks dude, so good. He is I did sometimes roles age and they don't age very well. He still knocks it out the park, dude. Oh no. I, I will say I, that is a hill I will die on. Is like that that casting in Blade with Steven Dorff and Wesley Snipes, those two deserve to be in Marvel. They have to be. Those characters have to be in Marvel. Uh, you know what? Steven Dorff, his Deacon Frost is too good for, for Marvel. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't belong in that uh, maze of. Oh, you don't want him to, you know, fight you the, know what? Uh, Scarlet Witch? <laughs> yeah, that's going to work out real well. <laughs> uh, the cinematography is, as we had mentioned earlier, is great. It's absolutely gorgeous. The aspect ratio is pretty standard, 2.66 to 1. The camera they used was the Airy uh, Alexa Mini, which is again pretty standard and the printed film format was D Cinema. I think the only thing that could have made this movie better is if they shot film. You know, what? that's the only thing that probably would have made the visuals a little better. I saw that and when I saw then that, that- bit of information in their production like blurb that they have. I have to agree. I, there is a thing I understand about like budgeting and it, it, it is it indie probably, film? It probably would have ballooned their budget. Film stock is no joke. Astronomically yeah. with film stock, but man, the, the work that uh, I think it's John Maziak. Yeah. Matt Maziak. Matt Maziak. Yeah. But the job that he did deserves to be on film because you it, man if they just had a little bit more budget just imagining what he could have done visually because the stuff that he did he he did visually with you know a lot of the scenes that he put out there were really dynamic yeah and i don't want to 
I don't want people thinking we're talking crap about the cinematography because it's beautiful. Oh, it's and, beautiful. I, and I'm just being a film nerd here and say, oh, it would have been way better with film. <laughs> but to be perfectly fair, he did the cinematographer, John Matasiak. He did pick these new lenses and Tiffin filters. Yeah. For an unforgiving Western look on old Henry, according to this cinematography article, which I'm going to briefly go through a few paragraphs. I'm going to read directly from the article and it's taken from cinematography.world. And it was an interview and they were talking about his approach to the cinematography. It says reaching for a historical lens is an almost instinctive choice for modern cinematographers. They are doing this a lot. When you don't use film, they're going for older lenses because those older lenses just are so great at capturing a look. Yes. So the article says, especially those keen to transport an audience back in time. On Old Henry, cinematographer John Matisiak took a different approach to creating a realistically harsh and unforgiving world for director Patsy Ponsaroli's Western. Inspired by photographers of the time, Matisiak used carefully chosen Tiffin diffusion filters. I've used those and they do look great to control contrast and sharpness while also enjoying the consistency and speed of precise modern lenses. So that's the compromise there. Uh, Matisiak and Ponzaroli's historic fiction exists in a decidedly imperfect world, one where we watch hard-bitten characters and images carefully touched with glow and flair. Yes. The prototypical sun-baked deserts of classic westerns are absent. The story plays out largely under a bleak overcast sky or in the lampet flicker of candles and oil lamps, which is one of the reasons why I really liked this because, yes, one of the go-to aspects visually speaking when it comes to westerns you get that that harsh lighting yeah the glow what they call the western glow they want to show the desert and they want to amplify what a desert may feel like Mm -hmm. visually this went the opposite direction the the overcast worked because in my opinion dave and this is getting into theory again in a lot of ways the overcast gave this impression of an era that's coming to an end. Bingo. That's what I was going to bring up is like the reason why they chose that is because the theme, they stuck to their themes. They used, this is, this is a lost art. I think in film nowadays, because everyone just feels what using all your tools. Yeah. Well, using all your tools to tell your story, everyone thinks I'm going to just use my tools to make my picture look pretty. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't think about the context of your, of, of your image. And like, if you're trying to go for that image of like a bleak, this is the end of the frontier age. This is the end of a legendary character's mythos. Mm-hmm. This is his, you know, ending. You're going to go for a bleak more. It me- makes more sense to go with that bleak overcast yeah. look. than. Let's give him the beautiful, and I love the Western glow. Don't get me wrong. I think it works in certain films, but there have been Westerns the last three years that me and you have, have seen that people love. And I look at the, how it's lit and I'm like going, this makes no sense why you light it like this. You just lit this to make your actors look pretty. Yeah. And 
the the one the one that comes to mind straight away is the one that me and you covered with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, that Western. Uh, oh yeah, that uh, cutting edge work on that film. That th- that one blew my mind because they're just lighting to make their actors look good. Yeah, it does nothing for the film. <laughs> it does nothing for the story. Well, that film did nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> Scroll down your podcast feed, and you'll stumble upon that brilliant review. Brilliant review. <laughs> Okay, David. So moving into the critical response in the United States and Canada, old Henry grossed a meager $42,000 worldwide. I believe it eventually hit 76,000, but don't let box office performance fool you into thinking that this movie isn't everything that it should be. And more again, this film is an indie film. It wasn't a wide release. And also it was released during the pandemic. Rotten Tomatoes currently has it sitting at 94%. Which is hilarious because that's the one that I used when I initially looked at the film and it was in the seventies initially. Was it? Yeah, it was in, I have, I actually have my old or notes that, written what's down. What's the critic score? Do you know? The old critic score, which or I, I should which say I wrote the audience down. score. That's what I meant. Sorry. Oh, the, sorry. But the, I don't know what the audience score was, but I wrote down the critic score when this initial came out and it was a 72 when it first came out. And then sure enough, as we, you know, just like what you said, we've been pushing it back and pushing it back because we want to actually give this film some time. The score just started ballooning out because word of mouth. So audience score is 91%. So there's not that big of a discrepancy or difference between the official critic score and the audience. So it seems like overall the film is being enjoyed by a lot of people and understandably because let's set aside all the the amazing things we talk about on the show like when it comes to theory and cinematography and but just looking at the movie as is anyone can enjoy it it's a fantastic film Mm -hmm. it's a great movie to pop in i don't feel like it's aimed at a specific demo so the movie did a good job with its casting it was covering its bases so I'm not going to bore people with my final thoughts. I feel like it's clear. However, we do need to strut into the saloon. Let's push <laughs> through those those doors. Let's fucking punch the kid out of the way so he doesn't step in front of gunfire. Gunfire again. Uh, and we'll go up to the bar and have a few shots. So, David, my RMD score is 96%. And I'm going to tell you something, Dave. It would have been 99 or 100 if it wasn't for those two little things I mentioned. Yeah. But even that, the movie, 96% is an amazing rate rating from us. On oh, this yeah, network. that is. That's good. So, David, what about you? Keep it brief. I'm actually in the same realm as you. I have this at a 95. This easily could have been one of my infamous 100%, except for those, like, two little marks and uh, that you mentioned prior and some of the questionable moments with Curry because I, I just was like going okay if he's he's supposed to be the the, uh, the cowboy he's not going to make these m- mistakes right or if he's the lawman he's not going to make these mistakes but after viewing it so many times it this film just keeps surprising me this last the last time I viewed it uh, just to get a refresher from this one the score. I love the score. Yeah. The score is very simple, but it works for this film. 
like everyone talks about the cinematography and the lighting and everything, but the score I think just really fits the film perfectly. Yeah, I agree. All right. So David, we do need to end our discussion, but we uh, should remind our listeners that we need reviews on iTunes. If you are an iOS user and you listen to your podcasts on Apple podcasts, please search weird West radio. Subscribe. Add a star. No, no, not a star. Give us four stars and please go. leave us a review in order for us to gain more traction on the feeds. We need people to get involved in that way so that we can continue to do shows. All right, David. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>